This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express Card. And we here on Savor are what you might call food explorers. It has been our actual job to go to cool places and eat, like, a lot of the food there. And then talk about it. And then talk about it into these microphones, which is a crazy dream job. Yes. Well, if you're like us and willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people like us who are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Annie Reese. And we're talking about something fun today. We are. That involves very few human atrocities. Yes. Well, human social atrocities, maybe. We're talking about toasting traditions. And not bread. No, not toast traditions. Mm -hmm. Although now we very much want to do an episode on that. We do. And we will. Oh, yeah. This And this one is one uh, we wanted to do very early on, but since we started... Right out the gate with champagne, we thought we'd give it some time. Give it some space. Yeah. Uh, it's currently running up on the holiday season, though, a time for even more extra toasts than normal. Exactly. And um, we should say, right off the top, toast responsibly. Yeah, um, unlike most other humans have done. I know. Throughout history. I know. And also drink responsibly. Of course. That, too. Yes. So, a source... For anyone who's interested in reading more about this, Paul Dixon wrote the book, Toast, Over 1,500 of the Best Toast, Sentiments, Blessing, and Graces. So, if you're looking for something to read over the holidays, and, you know, you don't get enough of uh, <laughs> <laughs> toast history or food history, that's a, that's a good one. Yeah, it's really delightful. Mm -hmm. uh, so, toasts. What are they? Uh, well... It's when a group of assembled people raise their drinking glasses, and one or more of them says a few, or more, words to honor whatever needs to be honored. Toasts can be straightforward, or flowery, or funny, or even sarcastic. And in case you were wondering, 
the largest recorded toast at a single venue, according to the Guinness Book of Records, happened in 2012 in Boston. Apparently, 32,904 participants raised a cup to celebrate the 100th anniversary of Fenway Park. Wow, that is a pretty big crowd of people toasting. But it is hugely dwarfed by the uh, desperate-but-time-coordinated venues record, which is at least 485,000 participants. Woof. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, we, got, we have to have the, the weird food record. <laughs> it just wouldn't be an episode. Yes. So let's, uh, let's look at some history. And spoiler alert, the story you've probably heard about toasting starting out as a way to check for poison by putting some force behind the clinking of glasses and thus spilling liquid into your possible murderer's drink is not true. Probably. Or there's no evidence to back it up. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, especially, you know, like, like think about the physics of it. Like, yeah. you'd have to have your cup, like, filled to the brim, and you'd have to, like, really clink them, and a lot of materials could break, or you might spill most of your drink. I don't know. Yeah. And people in the know say that maybe, maybe it was more like a, a trust thing. You were showing that you trusted the people in the party. It was more like a It's a demonstrative, right. Yeah. Not a literal. Yeah, exactly. But... Basically, since the dawn of humans drinking alcohol, and perhaps too much of it, <laughs> we've been toasting. The ancient Persians, Hebrews, Huns, Saxons, and Egyptians had toasting traditions. But historians think the ancient Greek practice of pouring out some of your drink to honor the gods, called libation, was where the whole toasting thing got started. And historical records provide a lot of early mentions of toasting. Round about 2,500 years ago, toasting appeared in the Odyssey with Ulysses raising a glass to the health of Achilles. The ancient Greeks, who regarded people who chose to drink water over wine with suspicion, used to celebrate the Greek symposia with big, sensual wine-filled urns called craters. You'd take your cup, fill it with wine, drink, and repeat. In the 4th century BCE, Greek poet Eubulus wrote of this practice, calling those that went home after three craters of wine the wise ones. According to him, by the fifth, there was shouting, and by the sixth, quote, prancing about, and the seventh, black eyes. <laughs> the eighth brings the police, the ninth, vomiting, and the tenth, insanity, and hurling the furniture. <laughs> hmm. So that's a pretty good breakdown, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it should be like a chart. A symposia were the part of a party after the dinner where folks would talk and drink and philosophize and might have some kind of entertainment, you know, poetry, dancing, games, music. Uh, these were, by the way, parties for dudes only until about 500 BCE for reasons which I do not have the strength to list today but can be summed up by deep and ignorant misogyny. Hmm. There was a tradition where the host uh, or master of the event, the symposiarch, would make sure everyone had a cup uh, then would drink to the health of every guest present. And then each guest would toast to the host and all of the other guests. This apparently got real ridiculous really fast, and some partiers would give up and thus owe a forfeit in the form of a dare, like a dance naked, recite a poem, walk on his hands, stuff like that. <laughs> mm -hmm. In the first century BCE, the Roman Senate passed a law requiring a toast to Emperor Augustus's health at every meal, which Romans uh, might have and probably did take toasting and turn it into a sneaky drinking game, <laughs> at least if the first century Roman poet 
Marshall is to be believed. Um, one of his poems detailed a challenge that required a party's attendees to drink a number of glasses of wine equal to the length of their mistress's name. <laughs> and names back then could be quite long. For each course of a meal, the Huns had three rounds of toast. Also worth noting that most of these early toasts required chugging the whole of whatever it was you were drinking. The first recorded toast in England, as described in Geoffrey of Monmouth's 12th century work, History of the Kings of Britain, purportedly occurred in 450 BCE when Heingist, the leader of the Saxon allies to the British, threw a party in British King Vortigern's honor, and Heingist's daughter, Rowena, called for the king's good health after bringing him a goblet of wine from which they both drank. And then the king asked Rowena to marry him because alcohol-induced proposals of marriage are always a good idea. Yay! (laughs) To your wedding. (laughs) Good health back then was said was hail, which is where the name for the holiday was sail bowl originates. You know, like the Christmas song? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. I didn't know what that was a drink until (laughs) um, listener Rachel wrote us about it. Oh, we have very different cookbooks. We we really must. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> According to her, people would take this bowl of a sale, which was sort of a cider fruit punch holiday spice hybrid, yeah. <laughs> used to celebrate Christmas and New Year's and go door to door offering some songs and sips out of the bowl in return for some gifts. I think I would be annoyed if this happened to me, but, you know, now, now we've ditched the wassail bowl and we just go caroling or maybe we ditched that, too, because I've never seen it happen in real life. I don't know if you have right in. And thank you, Rachel, for that Insightful. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. I would have to trust my neighbors a lot if I were going to uh, drink something that they brought with them while they were caroling. I would just be mad. I guess at the time you would expect it. And so you'd sure. have a gift to give. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if someone just showed show up, up singing and offering me a yeah. drink. And like, You're like, here's this rubber spider that's been sitting on my doorstep. I don't know why. Congratulations. <laughs> You're welcome. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> And the wassail bowl itself may be a reimagining of another ritual that involved partakers sipping out of a large, heavy, two-handed vessel called a loving cup. And they would approach this cup in groups of threes, one to pass the cup, one to drink, and one to protect the drinker. (laughs) (laughs) And then they'd pass it on to the next group of three. Once the loving cup was traded out for individual cups, people missed that feeling of camaraderie. So they'd bring their cups together for a moment. To recapture that loving cup feeling. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Allegedly, this practice stemmed from 10th century CE uh, with King Edward II's death by stabbing at the hands of his stepmother while he was enjoying a glass of mead. Oh, rude. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, fun fun stories in this one. Uh, some historians say the clink, which wasn't really a thing until Christianity got its start, is a leftover from this loving cup tribute a physical way to be a part and connected to the toast. Others say it was that whole checking for poison thing, and yet others say it was a practice similar to the tolling of a church bell to ward off bad spirits, including the devil himself. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But maybe not. It may have come relatively simply from a physical way to put the contents of your then-opaque cup in front of everyone else, 
Uh, drinking glasses and crystal were out of the reach of most people until the beginning of the 20th century. So by offering your glass outward in a toast, you were symbolically sharing your cup and also showing everyone what you were drinking and also letting the host know who needed refills. <laughs> the clinking might have begun accidentally from this. Yes, or another theory is that it gives the drinker maximum toast satisfaction because it satisfies all five senses. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The word toast itself comes from a once common practice of adding spiced toast or a crouton to a drink in hopes of improving the taste of the drink, usually wine, by cutting the acidity. And bonus points that usually improved the bread as well, which was probably <laughs> stale. In Shakespeare's The Merry Wives of Windsor, which was most likely penned in 1597, the character Falstaff says, Go fetch me a quart of sack. Put a toast in it. <laughs> which in non-Shakespeare means get me a whole bunch of wine and put some bread in there. It took until the 18th century for toast to refer to the person you were drinking to, the toast of the town, as opposed to the actual toast in your drink which was at this time traditionally given to the person being honored. Oh, thank you for the soggy bread. Yeah, something like, like that, yeah. I mean, sure. You know, the, the whole concept here is that the person that you're honoring adds flavor to the event the way that the toast adds flavor to the wine. Oh. The word may have originally been applied only to women. There is a slightly body and possibly fictional account of how toast came to be applied to people written by one Sir Richard Steele in 1709 in a publication called The Tattler. He said that uh, this this one time a well-admired lady was hanging out around the Cross Bath, which is a uh, historic natural hot spring bathhouse, which you can still visit today. One of the gentlemen there scooped up a glass of water from the pool and offered a toast to her health to the company at large. Upon which, a slightly more drunken gentleman said that, though he liked not the liquor, he would have the toast. Hmm. <laughs> it's funny because uh, when I was reading about this, it was presented in a much more uh, wholesome way. And in the article that I read, he toasted with water, which I've always heard is bad luck. Oh, yeah. No, no, it was. It was definitely water. It was, oh, like, okay. a, it was like a scoop of water from the, from the pond, from okay, the so, hot spring. Okay. So it was still water. Okay. I think that. <laughs> Though he liked not the liquor, threw me for a second. Yeah, no, liquor meaning. Okay, that, all right. All historical words and changing <laughs> of things. Um, and more on toasting superstitions in a sec, because there's a lot of them. Oh, yeah. And cheers, on the other hand, came from the, an old French word meaning face, that by the end of the 18th century described a happy mood as observed on the face and was used as encouragement or support. So it kind of makes sense that it came to be... I think you said. Yeah. That toast. Okay. So that's some of the early history and theories about toasting. Now let's talk about some chaos and controversy. Chaos and controversy. Yes, that toasting caused. But first, a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. 
This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, Another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. (laughs) Well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Mm -hmm. So you know what else has been around since the dawn of humans drinking alcohol? What? Regret. Oh. Wild nights that devolve into total chaos. The time-honored tradition of drinking too much. Ah. Promising yourself you'll never do it again. Of course. And forgetting that promise at the first opportunity. Oh. Getting incredibly drunk used to be the goal, not a byproduct. Yeah. And toasting was often made competitive as an excuse to drink more without looking necessarily like an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. To that end, over the centuries, we entered something of a toasting arms race, if you will, and things sort of got out of hand. For example, medieval Anglo-Saxon throwdowns often used these cups with a round bottom that prevented partygoers from setting them anywhere. (laughs) 
<laughs> until they were empty, and then they would be placed upside down on a table. And because of this, these cups were called tumblers, which is funny considering now tumblers are these square bottomed, Un- untippable, basically. Supposed to be, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, if you're us, then, yeah. <laughs> Before he was King George IV, the Prince Regent had the stems of wine glasses removed so that guests would down all of their drink at his 18th century shindigs. Which, too, is funny, considering now <laughs> you can get stemless wine glasses. That are perfectly stable. Or exactly. Well, I actually prefer them. Yeah. To, oh, goodness. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Oh, and he also loved this game wherein two fellows at a time would toast to a woman's beauty with these huge glasses of wine called bumpers until one of them passed out. What? How romantic. <laughs> I wonder if this is where some of that macho, like, real men can hold their liquor comes from. I don't know. Future episode. Uh Eventually, party guests went from toasting the king to toasting every single guest attending a party or an event to the guests that weren't attending because they were (laughs) dead or otherwise occupied. You spent the entire time caught in this cycle of toasting and drinking. The British Navy exemplified this with a checklist of toasts to be performed daily, first the king's health, then to the men, then to the ships, then to your enemies, then to your wives, sweethearts, mistresses. And speaking of, toasting got all tied up with these drinking games, and a lot of them had to do with winning a lady's affections. To prove his seriousness to his woman of choice, a man would cut himself, use the blood as a mixer for his drink, and then toast to the lucky lady. Ah, lucky. Shakespeare, again, mentioned this in The Merchant of Venice. I stabbed my arm to drink her health. The more fool I, the more fool I. Another toast to impress the lady is called for drinking out of her shoe. And I've I've <laughs> seen, like, sports versions of this for rugby for with a boot or during Oktoberfest, but not as, like, a pickup toast. Yeah, I, I think that there's also a wedding tradition, maybe from Hungary, uh, involving mm. that. I didn't write it down, but a uh, future, like, like wedding tradition. Ooh, ooh, that would be a very interesting one. Yeah. The toasting arms race led to two main things, apart from drunkenness. The anti-toast movement and the Toastmaster. Toastmaster. The Toastmaster. Which Master I, of toast. I very much created a, a cartoon character. Yes. He's a piece of toast, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> First, the anti-toast movement. This was spearheaded by what many consider to be the first temperance group, Order of Temperance, founded in Germany in 1517. Vanquishing the toast was one of their primary goals. Wow. Mm -hmm. Englishman and lawyer William Prynne wrote a book called Health Sickness, dedicated to the evils of toasting, the whole thing, in 1628. It included lines like this one. This drinking and quaffing of health had its origin and birth from pagans, heathens, and infidels, ye even from the devil himself. Ah. Yeah. During toast, he refused to raise a glass even for the king, opting instead to sit on his hat and cast judging eyes <laughs> on people who did it. I can tell he was the best at parties. Oh, yeah. He was so fun to be around. In 1634, Massachusetts hopped on the bandwagon, or is it off the bandwagon? Another subtle Seinfeld joke. Banning what they <laughs> called the abominable toasting to someone's health. 
Uh, in the late 1600s in England, toasting could be an act of political dissent. Ooh. After the ousting of the Catholic King James II and the rise of the Protestant monarchy under William and Mary, a group of dissenters called the Jacobites found ways to quietly communicate their support of the old regime, despite it being labeled treasonous. Yeah. Very, like, Hail Hydra kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, James II had been exiled to France, and when the Jacobites held up their port glass during a toast to the new king... They'd position it subtly over their water glass, instead honoring the king over the water, uh-huh. exiled to France over the water. Yeah, uh-huh, I gotcha. Uh, there's a legend that when this gesture was found out, it led to a new tradition of removing water glasses from the table before the port was served. Whoa. Yeah. Toasting intrigue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Louis Fourteenth, who reigned from 1643 to 715... Not 715, 1715. He didn't allow any toasting in his court. And not that it matters really, but I wanted to mention that he was monarch in the House of Bourbon. (laughs) (laughs) Others um, were more interested in de-drunkifying toasting. Enter Toastmasters. I'm telling you this character, he saves awkward parties, and he's also good at making toast and toasting. There's a, yeah. And he's also made of toast. Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. It's it's going to be a thing. As a result of unchecked <laughs> toasting, we got the Toastmaster in the 17th and 18th century, and they essentially were party peacekeepers, making sure no one hogged the toasting time by toasting each and every guest, that everyone who wanted to go got to go. Guidebooks were published to aid in this task, and Toastmasters clubs were formed, and some still exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of these guides published by Jay Roach in 1791 boasted perhaps the longest title I've ever seen. <laughs> <clears throat> the Royal Toastmaster, containing many thousands of the best toast, old and new, to give brilliancy to mirth and make the joys of the glass supremely agreeable, also the seaman's bottle companion, being a selection of exquisite modern sea songs. Wow. Huh. It advocated for reason when, quote, passion blows the gale. <laughs> uh, in this book, Roach said about toasting, A toast or sentiment very frequently excites good humor and revives languid conversation. Often does it, when properly applied, cool the heat of resentment and blunt the edge of animosity. A well-applied toast is acknowledged universally to soothe the flame of acrimony when season and reason oft used their efforts to no purpose. Wow, that makes the toast sound very... Noble. Yeah. (laughs) This is a job for the Toastmaster. Bum, bum, bum. Ah, yes. The anti-toasting groups didn't succeed in banishing toasting, but they, along with the Toastmasters and books about proper ways to toast, led to a more refined toast, one more true to its origins, often a single sip in someone's honor instead of a game to see who got drunk the fastest without being called a lush. Etiquette called for the recipient of a toast to bow with politeness and smile with an air of great kindness. And yes, it was usually a woman in these early days. In America, toasting was tied to patriotism, because America. (laughs) Thirteen toasts, one for each new state, was required to make any official dinner or party celebrating the end of the Revolutionary War complete. And further cementing this America toasting patriotism association was a 1778 musical composition published in a London magazine called To Anacreon in Heaven, named for the Greek poet whose work often showcased his love of love and of wine. Soon after, a gentleman's club called the Anacreon Society 
opened their meetings with this song and a toast. It was quite the hit, the song, enough so that a bunch of popular songs incorporated the melody, including the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you, alcohol. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> um, of course, the American temperance movement was not fond of toasting traditions, although due to them, a counter-toast of sorts developed. Temperance, I'll drink to that. Drink what? Liquor. And not... Like a liquid. Yeah. (laughs) From 1880 to 1920, toasting was hugely popular in the U.S. Famous authors wrote toast. One magazine had a toast editor. Oh, yeah. He would gather and judge the best toast from around the country in a monthly contest. Some historians blame prohibition on the lapse in American toasting culture while it was enacted from uh, 1920 to 1933, although it certainly did not stop people from inventing new toasts. Here's one from the period. Here's to prohibition, the devil take it. They've stolen our wine, so now we make it. <laughs> A lot of things rhymed back then. It was pretty popular uh, to rhyme. Yeah. Movies, TV, and books, and other pop culture helped solidify toasting as a thing you do, and to this day, we do it. But around the world, we toast in different ways. More on that after a brief word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express Card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, Another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. Well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. One of the fun things about toasting is all of the unique versions of it that exist around the world. So we thought we'd go over a few. Yeah. According to our very own website, How Stuff Works, a traditional Gaelic toast goes as follows. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. The rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Hmm. My uh, grandparents had that on a plaque in their kitchen. Oh, did they really? Yeah, yeah. Huh. The British Royal Navy's daily toasts evolved into a set of traditional toasts, one for every day of the week, with the understanding that it's not so much that they're definitely drinking every day as much as that, you know, celebratory dinners might happen any day of the week. So you mm-hmm. need you need to have a proper one for that day. There's got to be a re- <laughs> regiment. <laughs> Sundays to absent friends, Monday to our ships at sea, Tuesday to our sailors, a Wednesday to ourselves as no one else is likely to concern themselves with our welfare – Thursday to a bloody war or sickly season, Friday to a willing foe and sea room, and Saturday has long been to our wives and sweethearts, to which there is a crowd response. To our wives and sweethearts. May they never meet. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Adultery jokes. Oh. Um, As of 2013, the Royal Navy officially changed that toast to our families, purportedly to include and honor the service women in their company. Yeah. China, Japan, and Korea share a few common ideas about drinking and toasting traditions. Uh, The most common Japanese and Korean words for, like, cheers root from the Chinese. And the traditions tend to be based in uh, status and respect strata. First off, in these, and actually a lot of cultures, it's rude to begin drinking before someone raises a glass for a first toast. Yeah. That someone can be you if you're a guest. Hmm. Anyone can toast. Yeah. In Japan, the go-to word for cheers is kanpai, which means dry cup, a.k.a. drain that glass. It did originate when the drink of choice was sake that was consumed from small cups. And it's not necessarily literal when you're drinking with large glasses of beer. But more on that in a sec. Mm -hmm. The Korean word is ganbei, and the Chinese word is pretty close to the Korean. It's ganbei. I think it's ganbei. Ganbei. Okay, ganbei. Sure. Toasts in China and Korea can go in rounds with everyone offering a cheers to everyone of higher or equal status. If you're offering the toast and thus putting yourself in the position of showing respect, it's polite at that point to drain your glass. I've heard anecdotes from both China and Japan about this turning into like something of a drinking courage game where everyone is basically trying to like out polite everyone else and get drunk in the process. Um, no matter how big the glasses or strong the drinks. I definitely saw this go down when I was in China. 
There are several alternatives in all of these cultures, of course. My favorite at this very current moment might be the Japanese otsukare, which literally means something like you're honored and tired. Mm-hmm. But uh, in, in the instance of toast, better translates to you've worked so hard, you deserve this drink. That sounds like me. I know. Mm. You like, deserve this, You Annie. deserve it. It's usually <laughs> someone else saying it about you. That that would be better yeah. and less sad than me saying it to myself. <laughs> One that I heard a lot um, in, in my travels, especially in Europe, but also in the U.S., is if you don't make eye contact with everybody during the toast, you have to, like, do it with everyone, um, then you're going to have seven years bad sex. <laughs> um, I, love how, I love how it jumped from, like, it's rude yeah. not to make eye contact to seven years bad sex. Yes. You don't want that. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> um, uh-huh. I couldn't, yeah, I mean, I think it's just one of those things that sort of happened and then got spread and there's really, well, obviously there's nothing, <laughs> no science there. Oh, I didn't look into oh, the science yeah, we behind should, it. We should look into that further but i think it's more of a kind of a thing that uh, just like a like an urban legend kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah 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 um that that's popular in parts of germany and in france among other places by the way germans uh prost and similar words in other languages probably root from the latin prost i'm saying these with very strange accents i think the latin is probably closer to something like prost I, i'm not sure if i said that any differently anyway um it means something like uh may it be good hmm. or uh, may it be beneficial maybe yeah, that's nice. Yeah. And going back to that water thing and the superstition surrounding toasting with water, why don't we do that generally? There's definitely American and I think British naval traditions that say that the object of a toast with water will die by drowning. Oh, no. That's serious. I mean, couldn't you also use that to... Oh, yeah, to man. just knock out your enemies. <laughs> right? Turn that dark very quickly. <laughs> Um, There's a legend that the tradition of this started with the ancient Greeks. Part of their underworld mythology held that there were um, these five rivers in Hades, one of which called Lethe, the dead would drink water from to forget about some or all of their earthly experience or existence. Therefore, the legend goes, the Greeks would toast the dead with water. I think it's probably closer to that, like, either like machismo or... We're pouring out this libation to the gods. It's disrespectful to use water instead of wine kind of concept. Mm-hmm. But but that's a nice legend. It is. It's kind of like they were drinking from the the river to get the same effect of alcohol to forget your, your oh. earthly existence, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. Ooh. Uh-oh. What about uh, Hungary? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Uh, there's There's apparently this tradition in Hungary that's like, do not clink your glasses. Definitely don't. I read this on the internet, and the only explanation that anyone offered was that clinking glasses reminds folks of this one time that 13 martyrs were executed in 1849. And I'm not sure. Hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, if anyone knows any more about that, <laughs> then let us know. Uh, Russia has a wealth of toasting traditions. There, it is also rude to drink before a first toast is made. And in the military tradition, there are at least 13 toasts that are accounted for. Wow. The uh, the first two are kind of quick blessings. Then there's one for the dead. And then the rest of the 13 for for women. A good simple one in Russia is, by the way, a budium, which is we will. Yeah. We will. We will. I like it. Mm-hmm. 
I have it from an excellent theater artist from Belarus by the name of Oksana that the most popular Belarusian toast is Zaludorf, meaning for love. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. (laughs) In Georgia, the country, not the United States state, drinking and toasting at feasts is traditionally overseen by a tamada, a toastmaster. In formal gatherings, you do not drink until the tamada has offered the official toast and said, until the end, which is another kind of bottoms up suggestion. Sure. Mm -hmm. It works on two levels, too. Until the end. Until the end. And then until the bottom. (laughs) Drink you. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Empty it out. Mm -hmm. Many Western cultures use a variation on the word salute, salute, saliente, etc., And these come from the Proto-Indo-European root sol, meaning uh, whole or well-kept, and then eventually the Latin uh, salutare, meaning literally wish health to, uh, with a connotation of of greeting or paying respect. And I find it really interesting that in English, this root word branched into like the really military connoted formal salute or like salutation. Mm-hmm. But basically every other Latin-influenced language uses it in this much more casual and friendly and like, yay, mm-hmm. sort of way. I guess it's all honorific. I suppose. Speaking of things that we don't know about the origins of. Yeah. Why do some people clink the bottom of their glass against the table after a cheers and before they drink? I don't know. N- no one does. <laughs> Really? Good story, I know. Yeah. Uh, no, but dang, but everyone has an opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard everything from you're honoring the bar or the bartender to you're honoring those not around to actually clink glasses with you to you're dispelling evil spirits um, to you're dispelling extra foam in your beer to you're dispelling over familiarity with your drinking mates by disrupting the path from the clink to your lips, which is very like, good work today, Wesley. I'll likely kill you tomorrow. Yeah. But, you know... I did it for a while just because I thought it was how you did it. <laughs> like, I thought that it completed the toast, but I am. Yeah. I have some groups of friends who all do it in a respectful way, and I have some groups of friends who do that in that kind of, like, F you sort of way. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I always forget which one I'm in, mm. especially if I've had, like, more than one. Right. It, it, it turns very exciting. <laughs> and now, tips for a good toast. Just kidding. We don't have any. Oh. I, I one time gave a good toast and generally I just, I'm like, shorter the better. Get out of there quick. <laughs> yeah. I'm usually just like, I love you guys. Thank you. Yeah. You're great. I hope you're doing nice. Mm-hmm. See, excellent. Yeah. Very, uh, <laughs> it was words strung together. <laughs> I, I did collect a few from one of those early 1800s. Toastmasters Guides, this one by T. Hughes, um, published in London in 1806. And a couple ones that he recorded in this book are, good luck until we are all tired of it, <laughs> which I think is cute. I really like that, yeah. Yeah. And here's here's one I thought you would like, champagne to our real friends and real pain to our sham friends. Yes. <laughs> you know me so well. Oh, that's so good. But yeah, that's that's all I've got. No tips from us. Keep it, keep it short and sweet. If you're not sure of the customs, wherever it is that you are, then either ask beforehand or follow everyone else's lead. And I don't know, be friendly. Yes, be kind. That's our toasting episode. <laughs> <laughs> cheers to you for listening. Yes, cheers. And uh, speaking of cheers... 
Oh, yeah. Um, we want to know how you cheers. Are you less awkward than we are? Is there a common saying in the place where you're from? Yeah, maybe some toasting traditions. We would love, love for you wonderful listeners to send us recordings of your favorite toasts or toasts that um, are common where you are, that we didn't mention, that you think we should have mentioned. And if we get enough of them, we might uh, make an episode out of it. Yeah. Feature them in an episode anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, may- maybe like a like a nice New Year's kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so um so so send us those. Um the best way is via email. Speaking of email, there's mail. Yes. There's listener mail. It's lovely. Mm-hmm. Emily wrote, I loved your episode on popcorn, but it made me think of a weird etymological thing I found out in high school. I'm from Ontario, Canada, and some of our schools are French immersion schools. This means that from grade one until grade twelve, if you choose to continue with French for that whole time, a portion of your classes are taught in French. I went to one of these schools and I'm still taking a sort of immersion in university. In elementary school, most of our teachers came from Quebec. We learned pretty early on that in French, popcorn is called mais soufflé, a direct translation of popcorn. However, the first time we tried using it in high school, our teacher laughed at us. Oh. She was from France, where English slang is more used than French appropriation, so she just said popcorn. <laughs> Apparently, because Quebecers are distant immigrants to France, they like to be as strict about their French as possible, while the French in France are more lenient. Oh. <laughs> like, May souffle. May souffle is great, though. I know. that I, I would think I was getting, like, a souffle. I would have no idea. And the popcorn would show up and I'd be so happy. You'd I be happy question either it. way, right? I know. I don't know what happened, but it's delicious. Yeah. <laughs> um, Christine sent us this. I was listening to the Aspic episode this evening. And yes, I did Google pictures and was gagging along with you. I had to laugh, though, because it brought back a memory from when I was maybe 10 to 12 years old. We were at Blossom Music Center before a performance of the orchestra for the 4th of July, and we were enjoying a picnic dinner that my mom had put together for our family. I still remember looking over at the next picnic table and asking my mom, what the heck is that that they're eating? Her answer, with a wrinkled nose, aspic. She was a specialist in food and nutrition, and I think the whole novelty of aspects never gelled with her. Sorry, couldn't resist. Now, mind you, she is also the queen of jello salads, so I'm not sure how to process that. Yeah. Well, us neither. No, us neither, <laughs> but I do know that would make a great business card. Queen of jello salad. Queen of jello salad. Oh, that is a prestigious title. It is. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much for writing in. If you guys would like to do that, that email address one more time is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. We're also on social media things. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook, where our handle is at foodstuffhsw, stands for How Stuff Works. You can also find us on Instagram at foodstuff. Many, many cheers to our amazing producer, Dylan Fagan, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. 
And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.